right, okay, good morning, Calvary Church. It is uh, good to be here with you. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and just excited for sharing with you on this week right before Christmas Sunday. So I'm pumped up for Christmas. I love Christmas. I'm kind of a little bit crazy when it comes to Christmas. I love everything that it comes with. Of course, I know that it's about Jesus, but I also love all the other stuff. I love the traditions and the food and the time with family and the decorations, and especially I love the lights. Uh, I do love the lights, and uh, if you've seen, I don't know, maybe you haven't, but I have uh, won a major award, and uh, it's kind of a big deal, and so just, you know, for no apparent, <laughs> it's like not that big a deal, but uh, it's really awesome. I'm super excited. I love doing this. I love doing the lights. Also, fellow Calvary member Paul Rakovich won a major award too as part of from Tustin. So we live in Tustin and got this thing as I go all crazy with the lights and that's just a little glimpse of them. But uh, it's fun. I love doing all of that stuff. And uh, what I recognize, though, what I hope we all kind of recognize as much as we enjoy all that other stuff is, uh, and by the way, this is my attempt to make there be a reason for me to show you the picture of my lights. Uh, it's going to be pretty weak. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but what it is is just that sense of it being, you know, a backdrop uh, to the real Christmas story. Like all that stuff is just a backdrop. All that stuff is like surrounding it. And what Christmas obviously is all about is that story of Jesus. And uh, anyway, when we then look into the Christmas story itself, and by the way, I encourage you, uh, if you grab your Bibles, turn to Luke. We'll be in Luke 1 and 2 the whole time. So you can just keep it there. And uh, that's what we'll be looking at. But you think of this super famous passage, right? This Probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture. You'd hear it if you go to a, a, some sort of Christmas program for kids or if you are coming to a church service like this or watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you will hear these words said. And these words are from Luke 2.1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this is the backdrop to the Christmas story. This is the beginning. This is what you have here as we head into it. And it's not just, you know, camels and shepherds and sheep and uh, magi or even King Herod. Or, or even the, the, the religious communities of the time of the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, what you have as the backdrop of the Christmas story is the Roman Empire. This rule and reign and power of the Roman Empire, who it says in, in this verse, uh, you know, was reigned over all of the inhabited earth. Which I think we know at this point that it wasn't quite all of it, but it was a, a big part of it. And uh, they, though, just reigned in power. And the Caesar was the ultimate ruler of all of that. And so it is specifically here, Caesar Augustus, born Gaius Octavius or uh, referred to as Octavian is his name, and he was this emperor at the time of Jesus. And so today, as we look into this, Caesar Augustus, who I'll bring up on stage right now, right? Uh, we've got Caesar, and he is the backdrop to the Christmas story. And as we look into it, it's recognizing, too, that it is this whole thing of this series that we're in called Jesus 
over all these things, and today is Jesus over Caesar. But if you haven't noticed, I want to just point out these cool stained glass things that uh, were made for us by our amazing team and Ryan and Kirsten and others. But we've got uh, these stained glass over here representing Jesus over Satan. And so you can see that uh, symbolized there. And that was the first week of this series. And then here you've got Jesus over history, which was last Sunday. And then now, over here, this third one is today of Jesus over Caesar, representing the ruler sitting on the throne of that time, as well as the, uh, you know, as also we were thinking about even like earthly kings and rulers or leaders that we would have today, that Jesus reigns over them, and Jesus reigns over everything, as we'll see next week. And so as we look at all of this, we have to kind of get into what is this, like, what does this mean when we talk about the gospel and we talk about Jesus? Because we have to choose, we are forced to choose the true gospel and what it really is. Is it the gospel of Caesar or the gospel of Jesus? And so we think about this today, and I want to show you why I would even talk about that. And because as we do that, we have to look into who was this guy, Caesar Augustus, that is this backdrop of the whole Christmas story? Because it starts off with him. Now, okay, so you got to go back just a little bit. We've got Julius Caesar is the father of Caesar Augustus, okay? Julius Caesar adopted a guy named Octavian, all right? And so Octavian is now the son of Julius Caesar. Famous stories, Julius Caesar, the Senate, he's getting stabbed and killed and all that, right? And then there's this period of war and war breaking out between different factions. Well, you got Octavian versus Mark Antony. And you've got all these movies and stories told about all of this and Cleopatra and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Now, you've got uh, then what happens is Octavian defeats Mark Antony. In 31 B.C., okay, 31 B.C., before Christ, he, he wins, he defeats Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium in 31 B.C., and he takes on the throne. And in that, he brings peace to Rome, okay? He brings peace to the Roman Empire. And he then changes his name from Octavian to Caesar Augustus. Augustus means the illustrious one. So he gives himself a very humble name as the illustrious one. And uh, he takes on that title. And what he does, one of the first things he does is he puts on these elaborate public games. Now, some of these are gladiator-type games and all of that. So he's putting on these, these crazy games. And in the midst of these public games, a comet comes overhead. It's a thing that actually happened. Comet comes overhead. Now the part that didn't really actually happen, even though they say it is, is that they say this was Julius Caesar, who was dead, right? The father of Caesar Augustus. They say the comet is Julius Caesar, who is a god now. He's a god in the heavens amongst all the other gods, all the, you know, the Greek Roman astrological gods. He's one of them now, so he is a god. So then what does that make Caesar Augustus? That makes him the Son of God, all right? So he is calling himself the Son of God. There are even coins that they had inscribed with his picture. It said, Son of the Deified One on the coins. Okay, so he's taking on this title and receiving this title of the Son of God. Some other titles that were given to him, and some of this stuff's in your outline, in your uh, little bulletin thing. If you want to look at it, you can. Uh, but it says he was also known as the Bringer of Peace— He's known as Savior, Lord, 
His birth was called good news. And uh, the same word as gospel was celebrated by a 12-day holiday. He had other titles like cosmic savior, which is not just an earthly savior, but cosmic, you know, is like all of the heavens and everything kind of savior. He, this, is the, this is maybe the craziest one. He says his title was the atonement for Rome's past sins. He was the inaugurator of the golden age of peace and security as he brought on the Pax Romana. Uh, there's a couple inscriptions that were found. One was found in 9 BC, and this inscription spoke of Caesar Augustus, and it said this. I'm just going to read a couple short lines from it. It said, The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. Okay, so now he's the creator of all things. Uh, and then at the end of it, it says, And finally, the birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. And it's using that same Greek word they'd use for gospel there, that we would say it's the gospel. Pretty crazy, right, when you start to think about all this. Uh, there's another one, another inscription was found of an oath uh, that people would take to, to pledging their lives to Caesar. And this was found in the region, region of Galatia, like where we get Galatians. And uh, this is like central Turkey, if you go there now. Uh, it says this, at the command of Caesar Augustus, the son of God, I swear by Zeus, the earth, the sun, and by all the gods and goddesses, including Augustus himself, to be favorable to Caesar Augustus, his sons and descendants forever in speech, in actions and in thoughts, considering as friends those he considers so, and regarding as enemies those he judges so. And to defend their interests, I will spare neither body nor soul nor life nor my children." Okay, so this is this guy, Caesar Augustus, okay, who we're talking about here, who is this backdrop to all of this, who is called Savior, Lord, the good news. He's uh, a 12-day holiday about him. He's called the Son of God. And then we get to Luke. And Luke, I think, says all of this, he lists the name of Caesar Augustus here for a reason. And God, through Luke, expresses who he is, the way that he describes himself, he's doing this very, very intentionally. Intentionally that he is saying, look at who I am, and you have to make a choice. So let's grab our Bibles and look at Luke 1, 26. All right? Luke 1, 26. We'll read to 38. This is uh, as the birth of Christ is foretold by the angel. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. <coughs> Excuse me. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. <clears throat> the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. Which, first of all, Jesus, even just his name alone, means Savior, the saving one. It says, he will, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. These words 
written in this time, read by people under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire, these words are revolutionary. These words are like life-threatening kind of words that you would say that you are the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that his reign will have no end. It continues, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you have these, these radical words in this time actually spoken of. Like these are very familiar words to us about Jesus would have been probably familiar words to these people actually about the emperor. And so then that takes us to, to Luke 2. And we look at Luke 2, 1, and it's in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And then you go down a little bit, you get to the shepherd's part. And verse 10, it says this. Uh, so the angels appear to the shepherds and their flocks, right? The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. Christ, Messiah, the deliverer of the people of Israel, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So Caesar is called bringer of peace, savior, lord. You know, the, the one that brings, like, brings this peace to the nation. And then Jesus, and the son of God. And then you've got Luke saying, no, 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 look. God's saying through Luke, no, no, no. He is not those things. Jesus is the one that brings peace. Jesus, those who have peace are the ones that he decides will have peace. He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God. And so the people of this time, they could never be able to say, all right, that's cool. I'll follow Caesar. I'll submit to him. But I'll also submit to Jesus. Right? I can have this one be God and this one also be my God. Because guess what? That was really what was going on in this time. I mean, this time, the way that this whole thing worked of gods and worshiping and all of that stuff is that there were a multitude of gods. All again, like I said, the Greek and Roman gods, they would just follow them. And if you, you know, so if Augustus wants to add himself as a god, it's kind of no big deal. Fine. Okay, well, we'll add you to the list, right? You're in. But then Jesus comes along and says, how about I show you the exact same titles that you try to take on for yourself are actually for me. You have to choose today. You think you could follow Caesar and me? No, you have to choose. So we have to choose what is the true gospel. Who is the one that we will follow? Who is the one that is worthy of our worship and of our praise? And what's pretty amazing is that 
as we look at all of this, as we look at this whole story, and we think of the time of the Romans, and you've got the, the gladiator games, and you even think of the Roman Colosseum, and, and all of that as this symbol of their power and strength, and you even consider the cross as a symbol, really the tool of their power over people and executing people. It was their way of executing people in a very public way to display their power and strength. And then now, today, in Rome, the Colosseum is a relic. And what stands in the Colosseum, what you could see even partially to here, is you could see as you would walk in the gate, the cross as a symbol no longer as a symbol of the Roman Empire, but as a symbol of Jesus and as a symbol of him being alive. And as you go inside the Colosseum, on the very place where the emperor would sit stands a cross, where Jesus is the king of a kingdom whose reign will have no end. And so <laughs> this place that was this symbol of Roman strength and power and the very seat of the emperor now is a symbol of Jesus and of his kingdom and how he reigns over all. And I just think that's a powerful picture that what seemed like defeat, you know, the cross, what seemed like when Jesus died on that cross, what seemed like defeat at the hands of Satan and the Roman Empire really was the beginning of the greatest victory ever won through the resurrection, victory over sin and death. And that they could not hold him down, let alone something as small as the Roman Empire. And so in light of all of this, then, we have to recognize and remember that we must look to Jesus for our hope. Okay? We don't look to earthly leaders for hope. We look to Christ. There's this sense that we have this sort of like a, well, as you see there, earthly expectation versus an eternal significance. We have an expectation of what we want God to do, what we want Jesus to be like, what we want him to do for us. But then Jesus has another thing that has more of this eternal perspective of of what he's doing and what he is bringing. And uh, it it makes you think even of this encounter that Christ had with people when when he talks about Caesar, actually, at one point. And they're asking him a question about about taxes. Like, should we give taxes, right? And, And Jesus says, well, look at the coin, Right? Essentially, he says, look at the coin. He says, the coin has an inscription of Caesar on it, right? And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And what Jesus is saying here, I want you, to, you guys to get this. This is radical and revolutionary, what he's saying here. This just sounds kind of like a cutesy story or, or a story about giving or taxes or something. But really, what, there's a couple implications of what he's doing that are radical. Because the first thing that he's doing when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, the first thing he's saying is, Caesar is not God. Okay? He's subtle, but he's saying Caesar is not God. He might say he is, but he's not. The second thing that he's saying here is that you belong to God, not Caesar. Because we are image bearers, right? We bear the very image of God upon ourselves. And as image bearers, we belong to God and we reflect God. So when Jesus says, Give that money to Caesar's. It's his. Give it to him. But give yourself to God. 
He's saying you bear the image of God, so give your very selves to God. That's who you belong to. And so again, it's this, in this very Jesus way, he's making some revolutionary statements about who we belong to and what we should consider important, what we should consider as most important. And so we don't place our hope in the leaders of this world, but we also don't need to place our fear in the leaders of this world. Okay? We place our hope and our, our fear, our awe, reverent fear in God and in God alone. Okay? That's, we don't need to place that kind of hope. And I think a lot of us, you know, in this last year, have placed a lot of hope or fear in some earthly leaders. And I think that we, you know, it doesn't matter which one. We've done the same thing for all of them, okay? But we need to place our hopes and our fears in God and in God alone. Because they expected Jesus, all right? These people of this first century, this the Jewish people, as they're looking into their prophecies about who Jesus is or who the Messiah would be. They expected Jesus to do something very different than what he actually ended up doing. I mean, they were looking at the prophecies and reading about a deliverer coming, right? And a a redeemer. And they were then looking at their situation and seeing that they are occupied by an enemy nation. They are occupied by the Roman Empire who's brought blasphemy of false gods into their very nation. And they are looking at all of this and thinking, I can't wait for the Messiah to come so that we can beat the Roman Empire. We can rise up and our troops can defeat the Roman Empire, just like we did before with Antiochus and the whole Hanukkah story and the Maccabees and all of that. Let's do this again, but we need the Messiah to come for this one. The Roman Empire is crazy. And so they wanted to be able to take that on. But then Jesus came (laughs) and Jesus said things like, love your enemies. And Jesus said, how about instead of a military force, what I'll leave you is the church. (laughs) I'll leave you yourselves. I'll leave you people. I'll leave you people who are to bring my message of love and grace and forgiveness. And take that to all the people of the world. And they're like, what? That's not what we signed up for. You know, that's not what we're looking for. We're still occupied by this earthly king, this enemy that we have on this earth. And so they're, they're looking at this whole situation and they're confused. But Jesus doesn't offer overthrow. Jesus doesn't offer control or money or power or fame or these things that we would have an expectation of. Or even some of the deliverance from some things that we would want deliverance from. Or even the, like even for us to have our laws be in certain ways that we would hope for our laws to be in the sense of our following Christ and what we want out of all that stuff. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm doing something different just so you know. I've got an eternal perspective. You have an earthly expectation, but I'm offering you something even more. I'm offering you something even that's so different than what you could ever expect. And so I want to ask you here in this moment just to do a little self-assessment. And the self-assessment is this. Is my intent to deal with the Caesar problem or to trust in Christ? Do I want to fix the things of this world like, or do I want to look to Jesus? And so am I, when I'm thinking about how I, I spend my time, am, how, think about how much news or politics do you watch, read, or get worried about versus how much of the scriptures and prayer and Jesus do you watch, read, and, you know, and have your concerns be about? 
That could just be a little test. All that stuff's good. It's good to be involved in that. I'm not saying don't be, don't get, don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, is like what has captivated your mind? Like what, what are you totally, you know, focused on? And sometimes our focus can get off. And so we want to get our focus onto Christ. Because so often, like I've said, we define Jesus in the way that we want to define him. We want the Jesus that we want. So, you know, at, at all risk to my job, I want to show you a clip from a movie of someone that really got this wrong. So let's go ahead and check it out here. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. All right. <laughs> now, we, yeah, right? Like, it's crazy. But we, we don't, <laughs> it's just weird. Like, we, we want to put God in our image. You know what I'm saying? Rather than us in his image. And so we want to have the God, the version of Jesus that we want. We want to define him. And even how she says, she even goes against how it's like weird and off-putting to pray to the baby Jesus. And, but she still says, do this prayer good so that we can win the race, right? And, and that's even our expectation is that I'm going to pray and I'm going to do this so I'm going to win, right? We want to win. We want to get what we want. Maybe we're not even concerned about the eternal significance of what Christ wants. And so may our prayers, whether it's to infant Jesus or bearded Jesus— be prayers that are prayers that would be furthering his eternal perspective and the, the, the things of, of his grace and love and forgiveness in this world, that we could be those kind of people. Because I think when we bring our own thing into it, when we bring ourselves into it, we want to respond to this stuff kind of like the, the zealots. Okay, so I talked about how they wanted to, the people of Israel wanted this military force. Well, there was this group of them that really, that's all they cared about, called the Zealots. There was even a disciple named Simon the Zealot who was part of this group. So there's different groups. There's like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, just sort of regular people. Then there's these people called the Zealots, and they were just doing guerrilla warfare. They're fighting. They were getting armed. They were ready. Like, we want the Messiah to come so we can take out Caesar. I can't wait till the Messiah comes. And when the Messiah comes, we're going to go against him, we're going to fight him, and we're going to kill him. And that's what they wanted. That's what they were about. And I think a lot of us in our day and age, we even look to these earthly leaders, and we think, you know, God, help us take them out. We want them gone, and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sacrifice who I am and my own morality even to be able to take out the earthly leaders that we don't like and that we don't want. And so we think with God on our side, we can smash Caesars of our day. And we want to destroy them. And we want them. It's just like it feels good. It felt good. It felt cathartic, right? Oh, I feel better, you know? And it's like, 
oh no, there's a little bit more. And so I'm going to get my, my Trinity bat that represents Jesus, right? And so I'm going to take the Trinity bat. And I'm like, oh, I still got a little more Caesar face there. And I want to smash it. Ah, you know, and we just, we want to take them out. And so we have these, <laughs> we, we, we just have this natural response. And, you know, it's this, it come, it's very instinctual. It comes out of us, and it's loud, and it's aggressive, and it's violence, and it, it wants justice. It's very American, right? We want to take out those who are against us. And there are people that are against the things that we believe, wherever, in this country or around the world. We want to take them out. But Jesus comes, and he says some really difficult things that are hard for those of us that have that, that mentality or have that instinct in us, whether, wherever that comes from. Because Jesus was quiet and humble. Jesus was vulnerable of his own self. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus was about dying to self the, the way of following Jesus, he said, is costly to oneself. It isn't about building up you. It's about building up others. So it's costly. But it's worth it. It's worth it. This way of following Jesus is harder. It's harder to be meek. To have power, yet express it with humility. Right? That's, that's often harder for us. But here's the thing. If Jesus was only an earthly savior, like if he came and did come to defeat Caesar Augustus in this way, do you realize how small that would be? Do you realize when we put that expectation upon him, how much we limit him, and we put him in a box of our expectation, and he says, are you kidding me? The Roman Empire? That's, that's absurd. How dumb is that? How small is that? I came to defeat sin and death and the enemy of all enemies is Satan. I've come to bring you life and to make you a new creation. And you want me to beat the emperor? No, I've got so much more for you. And so we here today can live that same way where we want God to do what we want him to do. We want him to fulfill the things that we want. And he's like, I've got so much more for you than that. I've got an eternity in front of you that I want you to recognize, and I want you to see that fight harder for the gospel of Jesus than the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of whatever earthly leader that you follow. Please fight harder for the gospel of Jesus. And let's share that message. Let's be that church that shares that message of love and peace and grace and forgiveness to a world that is hurting. And not place Jesus in the box. You know, it's, it's so much easier to be a zealot than it is to be a disciple. It's hard to be a disciple. Because we need to respond in this way that Jesus would have us respond. It's this instinct we have towards that aggressive action where God wants us to have a humble trust in him. We have a humble trust in looking to him to be the savior. We are not the savior and so we look to him and we trust in him and we 
we recognize that we can have, you know, just as wrong of an understanding of who Jesus is as the zealots or whoever did. And what's wild is that Christianity actually thrived under the Caesars, under these Roman emperors, okay? Christianity, like, spread like wildfire across the world, across that, you know, across the world. You think of Asia Minor is where you see the early church just begin to spread and thrive, and that's that whole modern-day Turkey now, and all these churches begin to start and grow, and you see the gospel going out further from there under these emperors like Caesar Augustus or Nero or Domitian, these other, all through the first century, into the second century, these people are being killed for their faith. It's not just like not friendly to our beliefs in the government. I mean, they're being killed and murdered and are in cities that have giant temples of worship to the emperor. And so in the midst of all of that, Christianity thrives. And guess when it starts to get twisted and messed up? It gets twisted and messed up once the government starts to get involved in it all. And you see under Constantine and then going on into the future is where you've got all this messed up stuff in history where you have the church and the nation state, you know, really like coming together. And that's when people start, you know, like forcing people to do all these kind of things and killing others because they don't believe in Jesus and all sorts of crazy things that go against the way of Christ. And so I think for us today, when we think of our earthly leaders, and I think even here, and we get worried about whether or not America is still a Christian nation or will be, there's a part of me, and I know it might sound crazy to some of you, but there's this part of me, I, I think I've said it before too, where I, I'm almost excited for, Christian, or for America to not be a Christian nation. Because I think if we're not, I think we will be forced to actually just talk about Jesus and follow Jesus in the radical ways he has called us to, and we'll see the gospel spread amongst a people who are far from him and maybe don't even know it, but are hurting and have a loss of that. We need to rise up now in that kind of a way and stop being focused on our earthly expectation and really see the eternal significance that Jesus is all about, that it's got to be the gospel of Jesus. It's got to be the good news of who he is and the love and grace and forgiveness that he brings because there is this world out there, this world that... As the song, O Holy Night, says, they are out there and they are in sin and they are in error, it says. In error. They are doing it wrong, it says, basically. And they're in sin. But at the same time, they are pining and hoping and waiting. And like I said, like whether they, whether they know it or not. And then it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That when Jesus appears to a person in sin and in error, our soul can feel the weight and the worth of him. And then there's this thrill of hope, it says. That hope is a thrilling thing. That we are weary and tired. There's a world that is weary and tired that will rejoice because of Jesus coming. Because Jesus doesn't offer an earthly overthrow, but what Jesus offers is a new beginning. That new and glorious morn. That you are no longer the old thing. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
And that's how we sing this song. That's why we fall on our knees before him and sing to him is because of who he is and what he has brought in this eternal, beautiful plan for him to bring all the people to himself. And so we worship him for that. And so I want to encourage you today as we worship to sing this song, not like just another Christmas song, right? It's like easy for those Christmas songs to kind of just go in one ear and out the other and you sing them a million times, but to worship through it. And if you are someone here today who has never surrendered to Jesus, placed their trust in Jesus for all things, for everything, and begun to a life of, wants to begin a life of following Jesus, I encourage you today to, to ask him for that, to come. There'll be people, I'll be over here at this prayer point. There'll be people here that will just want to pray with you and begin that, help you begin that journey. So come and, and pray and let's sing these songs as we worship a Jesus who reigns over everything. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful to you for sending your son, Jesus, to be the true Savior, the true Lord, the true good news, the true Prince of Peace. Lord, I thank you that you have so much power but you display it in ways that are, are so radically different and humble. And Lord, I, I thank you for that example. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us when it's, it's just so hard to, to do that when our instincts take us to a place of violence, Lord. And so I pray, God, that you would reign in our lives, that we, you would be who we look to and trust and hope in, God, above all other things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.